Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Other sites have the nasty habit of showing you lower prices, charging you huge fees at checkout. At SeatGeek, the price you see is always the price you pay. To start using SeatGeek, download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Today's episode also brought to you by Trunk Club. Look your best in clothes that are handpicked by a personal stylist and fit perfectly like Craig Kilborn's clothes today. Uh, they'll pick you clothes from over 80 brands and send them right to you for free. You have 10 days to decide if you'll keep them. Again, premium clothes, expert advice, no work. Get started today at trunkclub.com BS. And don't forget to subscribe to our new Ringer podcast, the Ringer NBA show, the Ringer NFL show, Keeping It 1600 and The Watch, all available right now on their own feeds. Let's do it. Well, I never thought this day would happen. We ran into each other two weeks ago on the streets of Los Angeles. And uh, and we were just talking on a street for a half hour, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. We power walked together. We decided to do a podcast together. He's here. Craig Kilborn, how are you? This is so exciting. Uh, nice to see you. Can I make an opening statement? Please do. It, it, I've timed it at 45 minutes, the opening statement. I'm kidding. Okay. So I don't do interviews. I just don't, I just like, it's relaxing not to, I'm very, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I might say something controversial. For example, I, I, uh, I have a wonderful lady friend. She doesn't like the term girlfriend. I've known her for 13 years. We've been together maybe six years and she's what we call an exotic waif. Now, I don't even know if we're allowed to say that anymore. We're exotic totally allowed waif. to say it. She's, That's great. <clears throat> and another term is a gamine, which is a French term, which means, um, I was going to have your buddy look that up, but it's kind of fun. I use the word gamine, which is a slim uh, lady with a mischievous boyish charm. So it's a French term, my okay. little gamine. So I have this lovely lady friend. So, uh, and I'm magical, and I'm walking, and we don't want to give away where you live, but let's just say it's north of Compton. We don't yeah. want to give away our neighborhood. No, fair. And we've, I, you, you, we met, but I met you when you weren't Bill Simmons. I met you, I, I, I didn't even know, you said we met, you, you and Gus Ramsey, the great producer, came to the show, and I thought you meant L.A., but I talked to Gus, he said, no, no, it was in New York. I didn't it know It was what, like in 1997. Okay, I, so. I was making you, $50 a week uh, writing a column on Digital City Boston okay. and bartending at night. That's what I met you. We so, had a great dinner together. Yeah, so. I don't recall it, which is fine. Well, you would never be able exactly. to recall, it, except Rebecca Lobo joined us, and That's she was what, and she was fascinating. Yes, and a very nice lady. And uh, Gus reminded me that I used to, Rebecca and I used to play one on one at Madison Square Garden. She had the keys to Madison Square Garden. Yeah, she's and, on the Liberty. Yes, and uh, it's not important that I won, but I I probably could have beaten Lisa Leslie. You know, I, it, that, but that's another story. Wait, but and Gus said when you were playing that, it, if people walked in, you would make a shot and go, 21 to 4, game! Yeah, yeah. Just for, for the people that That's, you killed Rebecca he, Lobo. He likes to remind me of all these things. But So basically, <laughs> I, I, I haven't met you, I, except for that I didn't count that as meeting you. And no. you, now you're this, this juggernaut of NBA. <clears throat> and I love the NBA. I know. And I said, I don't do interviews. And I said, you know what? This guy loves the NBA. Plus, you're launching a show. I want to help you launch a show. Thank I'm, you. Because I give. Yeah. And I said, 
why not uh, shoot the shit with this guy concerning the NBA? That would be in, in the, in the love of the game. And I have so many. Th- I don't know if we'll get to them, but I have little anecdotes that you'll like. I want to see your response to them. I might answer a few Tom Brady questions that I've been asked, and then I'll let you weigh in. Okay. But um, that's kind of fun. But I was so I said I'll do this because I want to talk NBA. No, that you. What's really your buddy's did name, this, by the way? When I lean that's back, Joe, our producer. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't even remember meeting him earlier. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> does, when I lean back, can you still hear? Is it still mellifluous tones? It's fine. Okay. So, so Rip, but let's be honest, though. The only reason you did this is because the Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> have hope for the first time in 10 years. And you just want to rave about the T-Wolves. No, and, well, and okay. So happy you truth are. be told, first of all, that's I like you might believe in them more than I do. I'm, I'm very cautiously optimistic. You watch like every minute of every game this season. And, and a couple of my buddies have pointed out. Oh, I got to do a quick shout out. My friend, I referenced Goldie. Yeah. You know Alex Sulkin. You know him. I do. Yes, I know. These were guys that worked on their on my old show, and now they're at Family Guy. And congratulations to Goldie. His show, his name's Julius Sharp. His show got picked up by Fox yesterday, his sitcom. It's called Making History. Congratulations to Goldie. Those guys are huge Patriot fans. I'm going to tell you some stories later if we get to okay. them. So Goldie said to me a few years ago, he says, this is when it was Randy Foy, Al Jefferson, Oh my God, you watch every game. That's admirable. That's admirable that you watch every game. And I have it down to an art form. I will turn it off. There's no reason to go through agony. Just enjoy the 22 wins. Just yeah. enjoy the 22 wins. I'm, I'm going to jump around and I apologize. If they traded, if they didn't trade Brandon Roy for Randy Foy on draft day. Yeah. 2006. KG would not have gotten a championship. Brandon Roy would have played with KG. They would have made the playoffs. They may have had another player. Maybe they get the seventh, eighth seed. I don't think KG would have ever left. And, I, and I'm glad he left because I wanted to win a championship. I'm happy for Kevin Love. I hope, I'm a basketball fan first for 20 years. I was an NBA fan with no team. And that's what I wanted to start off with basketball. My, my well, that's true because you grew up in Minnesota yes, and they my, don't have a team. My father took a job transfer from New Jersey to Hastings, Minnesota. He, he, he worked in St. Paul. And he said when we got there, he said, don't talk like the locals. Okay, that's what he said. And I wanted to ask you, like, I, this is what I, one thing I wanted to tell you, because I want to see, I do like, you're opinionated, and I, it's in t- entertaining when guys are opinionated. But not in a hot take way. I, I genuinely you believe, believe what it. I, I said. I was wondering yeah. that. I was wondering. Yeah. I did minor research, because, oh, that's, oh what I, that's what I wanted to tell you. <laughs> People have told me, you got to read Bill Simmons' book. It's great. And I said, I know, I've, I know the guy's funny. I know he loves the NBA. I read way too many NBA books as a kid. Yeah. Zeke from Cabin Creek, Jerry West. The Houdini of the Hardwood, Bob Cousy, Bob, uh, the uh, file, the Connie Hawkins story, and on and on and on. I'm going to say something about college, and then I'm going to go to my childhood, and then and then we can just go in all NBA. But this is NBA related. So I play basketball at Montana State University, uh, and if you'd like to talk about the, the skills, we can the any lack, tournament, any the, tournament potential there or no? Not when I was there. Yeah, I remember at some point they made it. After the after I left, yeah. Uh, they played St. John's uh, after I left. They were the 16th seed in the West. I did have a real, I, well, I had a 20-point game at Idaho, and they were in a tournament. They were very good at the time. The first game I started, I'll, I'll quickly get rid of this. What was your game, like a, like a Ken, late 70s Ken Reeves type of game? Like a well, early John gonna, Nelson or like gonna, a more Chase Buttinger athletic is, type this game? This is going to surprise you. Yeah. Well, let me, let me go back to, the, can you remember this? This is what I'm trying yeah, to remember. say. Okay. I'm keeping track mentally. So there are 12 of us on the team. This is in 81, 82 is my freshman year. 
two of us are Dr. J fans. So I'm a Dr. J fanatic. Julius yeah. Winfield Irving II, his wife's name is Turquoise, blah, blah, blah. My brother discovered him when he was at UMass because he goes, this guy's averaging 20 rebounds a game. His, his, uh, they couldn't play as a freshman. His sophomore, he has 20 rebounds a game. I was a Walt Frazier fan first. My dad was a Knicks fan. I was Walt Frazier. Then it was Dr. J. And by the way, you can love two players. I love Larry, like, and we're going to talk about Larry. I love Larry and Dr. J. You can love Tim Duncan, and you can love Kevin Garnett. You can I love, agree. as you said off off air, you can love two women at the same time. I've, I've heard you say that. <laughs> but but basically, I had these 12 guys on the team, and I, and I, so two of us are Dr. J fans, and I go up, and the rest are Celtic and Laker fans. And I go up to the guy, I go up to a, a, a Celtic fan. I said, who's the biggest whiner? in the NBA. This is predated five questions. I would just like to interview the yeah. guys. Who's the biggest whiner in the NBA? The Celtic fans say, oh, it's not even close. It's Magic and Kareem. And then you, you, then you well, ask. Well, it was Kareem. That yeah. is the answer. <laughs> then you ask the Laker fans, who's the, in the entire NBA? You don't have to name it. <clears throat> the Laker fans say, it's not even close. Danny Ainge and Kevin McHale. Probably Danny Ainge. Yeah. So, so that's the, I do enjoy these opinions, but we know, we know that people are, um, it's like this guy who's a, He's a Laker fan. He says, "Why do you hate the Lakers so much?" I says, "No, they're they're over they're overrated. The Shaq Kobe team didn't have a starting five. I don't care that they won three in a row. As I told you the other day, you can be a single champion like Larry Brown's Pistons and be a superior championship team. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the Spurs are a dynasty, despite what Uncle Phil likes to say. It's a semi dynasty. Uh, well, I don't know what your definition of a dynasty is, but that, but but they're they're such a great team, and and I love them, and and they could have won more championships, so that's okay. But they won enough. I came up with a word called dynastender. What well, what does it's that mean? It's a dynasty contender. Do you think they have? To, do you believe? Did Phil I think make, a dynasty is like when when the Celtics won eleven and thirteen. That's a dynasty. Well, that's. That's more than a dime. That's like the, that'll, that's outrageous. The Spurs won five in eighteen. It's not a dynasty. It's great. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I don't care about the Bulls. Term. Six and eight is kind of a mini dynasty. I don't care about. Well, see, that's the thing. I just want to. I wanted to say that the people thought I, I despised the Lakers. There was a guy out here who's a Laker fan, and I always say, you mean when you were on Sports Center, they thought that. No, when I was doing the CBS show because that's when Shaq oh, and Kobe. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and. It was, it was, as this guy said to me, he was a Laker fan. Uh, he was playing ball with wearing his Laker warmups. And I always say, where are you from? And they go, he goes, I'm from LA. And I go, good. You're not moving here and jumping on the bandwagon. And yeah. he says, oh, I, I said, the fans are obnoxious. You know, people, you know, they, they, they overrate their team. They're delusional. It's their God given right to win the championship every year. Laker fans, you know, they save their best outfits for the finals, et cetera, et cetera. And he, he said, oh, I get it. It's, it's probably why I don't really appreciate Springsteen because the fans are so rabid. So it's that kind of thing. But I wanted to say this. I said this to you the other day, and I'm fine with what you said. I said, don't think I hate the Lakers. I'm, I'm objective. The, the, the greatest team, I had a, more of a problem. I root for underdogs. I had more of a problem with the Bulls. I didn't think the 90s were the greatest decade for basketball. It was very good. But after the, after the, we just, agree. After the expansion drafts, four teams coming in, and you lost little, some dudes. Some of the you young dudes who centers. were supposed to be great yes, yes. weren't as good as we thought. And and, and yeah. so I thought people who think the Bulls are the greatest team of all time, I disagreed because I thought there were three teams in the 80s that could have beaten them, maybe even more. Some people would say the Moses Dr. Sixers, but I like the bad boy Pistons. But I said, the, to show that, I, show that I'm objective, I said the Lakers of the 80s were the best team. And I don't, I'd rather say the Celtics, and you, of course, say the Celtics, and I'm fine with that. That's fine. The 86 Celtics, one loss at home, and 
to 50, yeah. 50 and one at home. But so, I, for me, it's like simple math. Like with the 86 Celtics, 87 Lakers, there's only 21 teams. Yeah. And if you had a 30 team league in 1986, Kevin McHale's just not on the Celtics. Like he's on exactly. Orlando. Right. And it's just not the same team. Uh, so many stories. Oh, God. Wait, can we you talk can't... about the Lakers for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Kobe, you've been here most of the time Kobe played. When did you move to well, LA? Well, the good news is, like well, I lived, here, I lived here in the late 80s. I lived here in the late 80s. But then you were in New York for the yeah, Daily and, Show. Yeah, and so then I moved back here in 99. So the the Kobe Love Fest that happened this year. Yeah, well, here's the good did news. Did you buy about, it? Were you buying or selling? Oh, here's the good, well, we, we bonded over this the other day. I didn't know. The good news is, I don't actively play or hate. It's just a waste of energy. Yeah. He's, but I like to talk basketball. He's, of, of the all-time greats, he's one of the most flawed as from a basketball standpoint, it's basically his shot selection, and which results in a low field goal percentage. So as as I say to people, he's a better outside shooter than, than Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. They shoot 49, 50%. He shoots 44%. And people, the good news is there are media members that know that he's, it's kind of a joke. He seduces a lot of fans by making trick shots not trick shots, but he'd rather fall down with two guys draped on him for a three-pointer than dump into Pau Gasol. Yeah. And it's the, it's the wow factor. It's all this kind of stuff. And I see through that because I'm a little more advanced. No, because he, and he, when and you he, played basketball and yeah. And so he takes these, and he, I don't, I didn't even, re, I don't read the Phil Jackson books, but I heard that he talked about Kobe in, in, in high school, sabotaging the games. He wants his furious comeback where I, I'm allowed to take 35 footers now. It's exciting. And, and, and so I think his, he never, I never thought he made his teammates better. I thought so, there were actually times I thought he would jump in the air and make a cross court pass to the open guy. Hey, everybody, look what I just did. You better make that shot. Like right. he would like exaggerate the pass to say, you better make that shot. I'm giving, and how about when he moped against Phoenix? Remember when he moped against 2006. Phoenix? 2006. When he didn't make the playoffs after Shaq left? Yeah. He just Game said, I'm not, seven. I'm not, yeah. Hot potato did. What do you, what do you think of that? I didn't like that. I think Kobe's had some bad endings. I mean, I, I think he's one of the best 10 players of all time. I don't no have question. him in the top 10. I, 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 I really? purposely made my top 10 not to have him in there. But, you gotta, but I have Oscar Robertson in my top 10. That's the guy that you might... I have Oscar Robertson in my top 10. I have him and West in the top 10. I, I don't have West in the top 10. I actually put... I actually... We're talking to really Barclay. no West in the no, top I 10. I actually put Barkley. I told Barkley, I don't have Barkley. I told Barkley my top 10 once. And he goes, you have Shaq in there? And I said, yeah, I put Shaq. I don't like Shaq's game. But he was dominant. I had Shaq like 11th. Okay. See, the thing with Kobe is it was just so many years in a row. Like, if you just look at the first team All-NBAs, which I think is a really good indicator, he's basically the best two-guard in the league for 14 years. Yeah. Well, here's the... He definitely captured the imagination of the fans because of his competitive nature and his, his you know he he's good like michael beasley in the all in the summer league scoring 58 he's good at his last game and scoring he's good at 16. branding yes like he's good almost like how madonna keeps reinventing themselves yeah. kobe was I good at reinventing through, yeah. himself i see through him um but i was in a big van damme no i'm just kidding the the i was trying to think of the uh oh at the end in 2010 see i've always i i 2010 finals. No, just the end of the decade, player of the decade. Oh. It was too easy. It's Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan is no the greatest. Question. It's a, and people were like, Kobe, Kobe. Anyways, I want to go back to my childhood. Wait, can we say one okay. Kobe thing? Yeah, I want to go back to my childhood. But, we talked about this, but let's have the conversation again. Um, game seven. I, love, I, I gave my brother that information yesterday. My brother's in Chicago. Great guy. I'm going to reference him in a little bit. I have a, the greatest older brother in the world. The Kobe story I told you? 
you said because uh, my brother likes Thibodeau because he was in Chicago. And game you, seven, two thousand ten. And you Thibodeau said Thibodeau and Doc. Yes. Yeah, their whole double game team plan. him. He will not pass the ball. Yeah, Kobe's going to want to be the hero. It's game seven. We're going to double team him the whole game, and he'll keep shooting. And they almost won that way. Yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, he started passing. I just don't think. I don't think uh, it's just impossible to win game sevens on the road. And I and even so. I uh, by the way, there's. there's I'll give you some of these. Who's opinions. done that? Just like no. the seventy four Celtics. That's. I think that was the last time. I, I, I don't remember, but I, I will say this, that the, I do, and I don't want to be a curmudgeon, I see the flaws in sports. There are a few things I see. And you do right. this for a living, so you you're, get older, you're immersed. Yeah. So so the Celtics lose Game 7. The reason they didn't have Game 7, I assume the Eastern Conference may have been better, or maybe they never. They had some injuries during the year. So that's the problem. It's a flaw. So here's my thing. People will say, well, Anything can happen in a one game, like in a Super Bowl, it can be an upset, blah, blah, blah. But in a seven-game series, the best team always wins. I calmly disagree. It's not true. I think it, it, the best team does not always win in a seven-game series. That's my opinion. Like, I, well, I, I thought the Celtics were better than that boss. Uh, Perkins that got hurt in game six. Yeah, so... so I me, still feel like the 2013 Spurs were better than the 2013 Heat. That was one of the rare times I felt like the wrong team won the finals. Oh. And that game was over in game six. They're up five. By the way, and it was just so I, done. Totally. I'm a Popovich fan. I didn't say it afterwards. I said it when it happened. Why? Are, I know why he did it. Why are you putting Tim Duncan on the bench? He's your best rebounder. Because they had to shoot a three. And your smartest player. Yeah. You have to shoot a three. Timmy, oh, Timmy can't guard the three-point line. Okay, yes, he can. And he did it the next year against Russell Westbrook in the playoffs. Yeah. They were terrible. Shot at the backboard. But... The reason they got two shots is because there were two rebounds. If Ray out, they missed their three offensive rebound. Tim would have had that, and then they, I think LeBron made a three, and then they, Ray Allen hit the three on a, on a rebound. You know what I'm saying? It was like a one and, in a thousand. The sequence. question I would say is, would the Spurs have won back to back? I don't know because they won next year. Yeah, I, th- I actually don't think they would have. Yeah. I think it actually drove them. The and next the year. other thing I wanted to ask you, I, I know that, so I do not watch as much as I used to, but I follow it. Like last night, I just follow it. I, I watch some. If I think Miami has a chance, I'm going to watch. I, and then I'll, I'll, I follow it on the computer, and then I'll, I'll rejoin the game. There's, mm. I've, I've got things to do. Right, you're I've, busy. I, I'm, I'm cooking. I'm, I'm listening. I'm not going to bore you with Bill you Evans. Your art. Bill, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, wait, oh. Well, you're going to go to your childhood. I'm going to go to my childhood in a second. I'm going to go to my childhood. Well, I want to get to that, but question for you, because I know you watch a lot of stuff. Yeah. You love passing. We love passing. That's my, I grew up on Bird. Oh, God, I got so many stories. Bird was the the greatest passer I'll ever see in my life. Oh, my God. And on the West Coast, everyone got to watch Magic. Each coast had their own passing I'm going to tell you, I was going to ask you, because I really like that Sacramento passing team. The, the Rick Very Adelman. fun one. Underrated. And I, when, when the Spurs won uh, after they, when they beat Miami. 14. Everyone was raving about their passing. It yeah. was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. How about and I was gonna ask 77 you, Blazers? Oh, yeah. Another one. Yeah. Mm. Everyone he did this running oh, down yeah. the court. So anyways, I, I, let me say something about passing. I was, gonna, I was just going to ask you how great that passing of the Spurs was. And, you, you know, was it better than Sacramento's? I guess maybe. But yeah. and, and I do have, we can get into it later as we jump. I, and I apologize for jumping around. But, you know, the three-pointer is, is becoming, we're going to set a final. When Cleveland plays uh, the Warriors, if that's what happens, it's gonna be, they're going to set a record for, for threes. And they're going to, 
They're trying to eliminate the dominant big man, Bill. It's all part of this equality thing. I'm kidding. But you, um, don't you think the AAU is dom- is eliminating the dominant big man? If you're a tall guy, you want to handle yeah. the ball or else you're not going to get it. And now we're, this whole generation of, of guys don't actually want to be big men. I had a... I'm allowed. I'm allowed. I'm, I, I'm allowed to name drop because I had a talk Please show. Please do. You had a talk show for a while. I was talking to John, two talk shows. John Cleese. Yeah. And we had dinner together a few times. Yeah. And I'm a big. You know, Monty, I watched Monty Python growing up, Minnesota, and uh, somehow soccer came up. Oh. And I said, you know, I just can't. I'm, I can't get excited about where only one guy can use their hands, a sport where only one guy, the goalie, can use their hands. And I, I said something to you know, basketball is a, I, I, maybe I shouldn't use the word superior. Basketball is a superior sport, and they're superior athletes. You know, and and he was like, oh, that's your American arrogance talking, and blah blah blah. How come? Mm. So, how come it's so worldwide popular? And I said, well, beer is pretty popular too. I'll take the Pinot Noir, which Popovich drinks, by the way. Yeah, big I, wine guy. I, I. I, I was at, uh, you know, that restaurant Bouchon in Beverly Hills or it's, yeah. there's one up in Yountville and Napa and, and I'm at, they have a nice pewter bar and it's a, it's a curved bar. And I said to the bar, I was with my lady friend and I said, I, re- I just did, there's no one there. I said, can I have uh, can I have a Pinot Noir? Kind of like Popovich, just to see what, if the guy even knows who the hell Popovich, the, bar, the young you, guy. You name drop Popovich. I just said, okay. po- I'll have a Pinot Noir like Popovich does just to like, my dad used to check into hotels when I worked at ESPN. He goes, it's spelled like Kilborn, like the guy at ESPN, just to have a little fun. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I just said Popovich. And the guy, go, the guy turned out to be a sports fan. He goes, Popovich was in here. He drinks also Chardonnay. I said, tell me the story. <laughs> he said, it was, it was this summer. And, he, and, I, and I said, well, what was it like? He said, I, I, uh, I said, are you in town? The bartender said, are you in town for business or pleasure? He goes, business. I go, well, what business? He goes, we just signed LaMarcus Aldridge. Because he was in town, yeah. And he and he goes, oh, congratulations! And he, and he goes, hi, I'm Pop. He introduced himself. I just, I just, I love Pop. Now I disagree Pop with Pop and Belichick, two, two allegedly no, no, two of the greatest hangs, and you would never know from the interviews, but like great dinner companions, apparently. God, should I get rid of my? Uh, should I get rid of my? I have to tiptoe around certain people. So, so Goldie and Alex Sulkin, they're Patriot fans, and yeah. years ago, yeah. Now, there is a thing just to, and you, just to let you know. You know how some fans... Don't hurt my feelings. I'm not. Okay. I'm going to have a little fun, and then we'll move on. Okay. We're Patriot you're fans a very are so, nice person. No, Patriot fans are so thin-skinned right oh, now about this Deflategate thing. No, you already yeah, answered we're it. So, we're I so was upset. going to say... Yeah. I was going to say, you've already answered my... That there are certain... Like, the Yankees are hated, and the fans relish in that. They, they, they're fine with that. And even Boston Celtic fans, the Celtics are so dominant forever, even though they're patches, you know, the 60s, they relish in it. Oh, my God, are Patriot fans sensitive? It's I mean, a, it's us it, against everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's a little, just a little. But, but, can I do a little joke? Got railroaded though. Can I do a little joke? This is different. I don't even care about the, that. I, I get bothered by when 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 won Super Bowl convincingly, please. Which is more than set. Which, but but here's <laughs> the thing. Fair. But 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 can, can I? I'm going to give you one. This is a little bit of a joke. So people come up to me and they always ask me because I have no horse in this race. Mm. Uh, who's a better quarterback? Um, Peyton Manning. Or Tom Brady. And I say, well... People come up to you and ask you this? No, I'm just doing okay. this. I'm just doing this to manipulate. Okay, just like to it. manipulate. Okay. And I said, uh, well, uh, teams win Super Bowls. Superior quarterbacks win regular season MVPs. But here's what Peyton Manning does better than Tom. And I'm going to tell you what Tom does better than Peyton. Peyton Manning is can make passes that Tom can't make surgical precision passes. He's an offensive genius. He's an offensive coordinator. He is the greatest at passing 
certain passes no one else can make. Okay, Craig, what about Tom, Tom Brady? When it's fourth and inches, he can do a quarterback sneak. He is the big <laughs> old sneaker Tommy. of all time. There, Nobody's better. Is that, is that obnoxious? Is that funny? Do you like that? No, he's he's the best. <laughs> I know, but I was being I, a little. We're, we're I was, very proud of it. Okay. No, I know. I know I, you're teasing, but we're yes. also very proud. Okay, of you his took sneaks. that very well, by the way. I did. How's the mic? Is it okay like this? Yeah, I'm, yeah, just, yeah, I'm touching good. it. So let me. I want to know when you started. When you fell in love with the NBA. Because I started playing in Minnesota in second grade. My dad put up a basket. Second grade. He put up a He wanted me to play, my brother and I to play baseball. He loved Willie Mays. I couldn't, I mean, seriously, I couldn't, I couldn't throw. I threw like this, which is effeminate. And, but I, I took the bat. He taught me one thing. He said, I'll teach you how to shoot a layup. Left, jump off your left leg, put it up. And I took to it. And my brother was three years ahead of me. So he's playing basketball started in fifth grade, organized basketball. So I'm in second grade and I'm watching my brother at practice and I'm dribbling on the sideline, and the coach comes over, says, "Why are you dribbling with your left hand? Are you left-handed?" I said, "No, I can already, I can already dribble with my right." So I, I really took the bat. I was yeah. very coordinated. And you asked me what kind of player I was. I, I was six four by the time I had a growth spurt in a six inch growth spurt from fifth grade. I was five three. Then I was five nine in sixth grade, and then I was six four by ninth grade. And I was always a ball. I was a point guard. I apologize to you. So I was like a, a Zach Levine. Type. I was, I wasn't athletic like that. Okay, in, in my. It's funny because uh, our dear friend Albert Scooter Vertino told I knew Flip Saunders very well. Sweet Superman, I yeah. love him, and and I miss him so much. And uh, I hope I'm hoping Ryan will be part of Tom Thibodeau's staff. And um, Albert Scooter Vertino said, "Oh, Flip said you could do all the dunks in the world. I, I, all the dunks in the world." There was a period where I could jump. It was my junior year in high school, and I knew Flip for a long time. Yeah, and we played summer league at Augsburg College and everything. And, uh, but I was a, sh- I was an extremely good shooter and a very good passer. And I want to jump into passing. So like a Kirk Heinrich? Uh, he w- Kirk is inconsistent. I used to say I was like. Better a, than I, Kirk Heinrich. I like it. Well, I'm a better shooter, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't play defense, Bill. Okay. I, 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 okay. I have a bad back. When I was a freshman at Montana State. Yeah. The coach said, you have a body of a 42 year old. The, the defensive stance that I can't get. You're upright all the time. Oh, uh, come yeah. on. Don't hurt me. I mean. Think Wally Zerbiak. Okay. I okay. actually, I Wally actually, no, I was quick. So I used to say I was like Reed Gettys or I was like Pace Mannion, those type of players. Pace Mannion. I like <laughs> those it. Type of but it's listen, a good one. but listen, I, I, this is what's interesting. You know, people talk about Steph Curry's great jump shot and he's, I love pure shooters. Yeah. And he can take, listen, Kobe took a lot of shots and they, he was not a shooter like Steph. So let Steph take some force. The greatest bad shot taker ever. Exactly. And I remember people laughing when he missed, they, they had the highlight of him missing his whatever shot, the most misses in NBA history or whatever. And there was a fall away that was forced. Remember when Kobe did that? You're talking year? about Kobe, yeah, yeah. Yeah, at Memphis or whatever yeah, the hell yeah. it was. So uh, as a player, so Montana State, my sophomore year, I was recruited to play two guard. I ended up playing small forward, but th- see, they got a really good two guard named Jeff Epperly they, from Kalispell, Montana. He was supposed to go to my, the Grizzlies. Much great athlete. He was a six four white guy like Rex Chapman. I mean, wow, mm. this guy. So he he played ahead of me, and I was such a shooting lights out in practice that I th- sometimes I think it threw him off because he was he only was like a forty percent shooter, but he would have been better. And there's a bunch of stories, but in my sophomore year, we that's when college basketball had the three point line. Yeah, finally. 
ACC inside the top of the key. Mark Price pulling up. And Mark oh, yeah, Price it was like a 19-footer. Absolutely. Hilarious. And Mark Price is one of my favorite jump shooters. People talk about Steph. They say, is he like Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf because of the fast? One of the great lost NBA players, yes. Mark Price. And he was he, stocked in, then I, he got hurt. I loved Price's jump shot. He's really good. And and so we had the longest. If you're sitting down, Bill, I need you to sit down. We had the longest three-pointer in the college basketball in the big sky, 22 feet. Ooh. I played. I didn't play all the time. I was a bench warmer. Yeah. They kicked off. Uh, there was some disciplinary action. They kicked off uh, the starting point guard, senior, and the backup point guard midway through the season. I got my first start at Idaho at the Kibbe Dome, Moscow, Idaho. They were a good team. They had a guy named Brian Kellerman. They made the tournament. I played 40 minutes. I had two turnovers. Because I'm really into... I was 8 for 9 from the floor, 4 4 and 3. I scored 20 points. We lost. I'm sorry. We lost. I bet that your PR must have It was a close game. It was a close game. Yeah. I was... For the year, because I didn't play much, I was 9 for 20 on three-pointers. And some of those were late in the game where I had to force them. Were you eligible for the Big Sky three-point title or no? I don't know if I had enough... Probably not. 9 for 20. I don't know. Probably not. But... That's I pretty was, good, though. But the pass, so the defense, I, I like passing. Now, this is kind of funny. I used to say, um, did you ever see the pass I made at Timberwolves training camp or not? No. Okay. It's on YouTube. It's fine. Okay. And I did a whole joke about the pass. But I, you mentioned Larry, and this is important. I, uh, there's a type of passing I like. I made a pass that I had never made. I, the coach at Montana State, who didn't we, we fired our coach after my sophomore we got a new coach and I was again a bench warmer and I played I played a little bit and I played a game where I was feeding the post and making some passes and this guy had a little problem with me the next it was a hilarious the next day in practice he pulled everyone together and he t- he touched everyone's chest Kilborn's a better passer than you he's a better passer than you he's a better passer. now he didn't want to play me because of defense but he wanted these guys to learn how to pass and yeah. he was trying to inspire the team and he was so pleased with my pat i love passing it's the greatest thing in the world and i had this joke where i've said there are only three pe- jokingly in the world three people that have eyes in the back of their head and i'm one of them with larry and arvidas that was that was my joke i think i got the joke from a guy there was a there was a father who said that about his son out of high school. You're going to love this. He said, after Magic Johnson and after Larry Bird, Leo Routens is the best passer Leo in the world. Leo Routens, Canadian. <laughs> he was yeah. the player. He went to Minnesota and then transferred to Syracuse. Yeah. He was second in the Big Ten to passing to a guy named Magic Johnson. He played as a freshman. Leo Routens. He was the best player from Canada. Didn't have, he had a little bit of a put. You know the Coos had the eyes in the back of his head. Yeah, but I, yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, he literally, I think he could see... Peripherally, I think you could see it 90 degree angles. And here's the thing that I find interesting about, I love passing, and I was thinking about this. I had a conversation a few years ago with Chris Weber, and I said, and you can disagree, because I I was stunned. Very good passer. Well, yes, but I I was stunned. And I said, well, Larry's the best passer uh, of all, uh, best passing forward of all time. And he said, LeBron, you've never, have you not seen LeBron? Oh, no. And I was stunned, and he looked at me. Oh, God. And I said, maybe I'm being seduced no. by the touch passes. No. And you know what I thought? I said, okay, maybe. And this is what it is. Stockton ne- makes all the right passes, and LeBron makes all the right passes. The other thing is this. This is the key. This is the detail that I love. I love passing. I used to tell. I used to hang out with Nash, and I, I had dinner, and I would say, uh, I thought when you— I thought when you played with Dallas, you over dribbled when you circled underneath and probed. Yeah. But now with Phoenix, I love it. It's an art form. Beautiful. But guys that move and dribble, they're creating angles. 
I like the guys like Arvidas and Larry who are stationary and do this. Oh, yeah. That's Bill Walton did it too. The touch passes. And there is a pass that Larry made. Oh, my Lord. It was in an all-star game. It was an offensive rebound. And he jumped up. and oh, he touched pass. I'm to the touch Gervin, tap. Down yeah. to George Gervin. Yeah. Touch passes to me are so... That thing underneath them. Well, the other thing Bird and Magic did, <clears throat> they would know what pass they're going to make like three seconds before it happened. Yeah. They would dribble to a spot to bring the guy over and then they'd be whipping it behind their head because they brought the guy over and now this guy was yeah. open. They saw it like a chessboard. I don't think LeBron <clears throat> totally sees it that way. I think he's a great passer. Like, oh, you're open. I'm passing yeah. to you. Well, but I he's almost, not like, this right. is a five-second sequence that will lead to me passing. Yeah, I, when Weber said that, I almost felt like, oh, God, I'm being a fan where I'm being seduced by the, the how fancy Larry is. But I thought, you know, yeah, Stockton. I mean, I don't care if Stockton has more assists than Magic. Magic's the greatest passer of all time. But in my opinion, I just think... So I was wondering, well, second, does there's... LeBron make all the right passes? Okay, yeah, he's a great but passer. The, but there's... I always called it, there's a contagion that happens with great passers where when you're such a good passer... The other guys in the team start seeing the same things. Like Bird made Mikhail a good passer. Mikhail was a black hole, Absolutely. and by '86, Mikhail could like see dudes. Absolutely, that's the final and, and level the other, for me. The, the other basic thing is with passing is if you make an entry pass to the side, just entry pass, and the guy's open, he's not supposed to shoot the three pointer or the twenty footer because get some ball movement. Yeah, now, but and he might miss it because of that. But when someone penetrates, let's say Ricky. And dumps it out and makes a firm pass. You're gonna probably make. I say he's gonna make this because it was such a nice pass. It's it's instinctive. The guy's gonna really make this shot. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's an underrated thing about passing is getting the guy the ball in a spot where he's it's all one motion shot, which can, most people don't realize. Like Westbrook can I make throw passes and the guy's like reaching backwards for it. I'm gonna make excuses. Okay, okay. What you just said. This is this is the problem. You remind me of so many things. Years ago. Uh, I was asked to referee a three-point shooting contest on TNT between Kenny Smith and Steve Kerr. Okay? How many years ago are we talking? 2004, when the, when the Wolves okay. got, had the Western Conference Finals or whatever. And I woke up, and it, I'll just say it was a late night. Okay? Yeah. There was a time in my life where there was nothing better than after the show going to Mastro's and being with uh, the late great actor. What was that? He sadly passed away. Get Shorty. What was um, my buddy from Chicago? My buddy from Chicago. The, the great actor from Chicago. He was in Get Shorty. Uh, why am I slipping? This is why I woke up too early. It's uh, come on. The guy with the mustache in in uh, who, what's your buddy? Dennis, get, oh, Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina, sweetest man in the world. He uh, sadly passed. You went away. Get Shorty for Dennis Farina over no, Midnight Run. Midnight Run is yeah. I I, I feel it, like he's Midnight Runs. Dennis Farina. It is. It is. Okay. I just. That was okay, the one I that popped you. in. Right. I, I've I've only seen you Midnight Run. I've Farina? never I've never seen. You know, oh, he's funny. He was at. We would go to Mastro's. He would say, "Park in the back, walk through the kitchen." And that's when I used to like love drinking a martini. Greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And uh, coasting on the air. I'm kidding. Coasting through the second interview. <laughs> so you go out there, and he was wearing this. I said he was wearing this sweater. I said, "Is that peach?" He goes, "It's salmon. It's salmon." You know, he's <laughs> salmon. It's not Paige, and uh, I used to I used to call up uh, on. Wait, Friday. you were finishing a. You were at oh. Mastros, and there was a basketball. There was a payoff for the Mastros thing. What, what were we talking about? Passing. We were talking. Oh, Steph Kerr, St- St- Steve Kerr, and Kenny Smith three point contest. I had a late night, and then yeah. I wake up in the morning. I go, God, I'm so glad. I, I'm. I don't know how old I am. Forty two or something. Yeah. I'm so, so glad I don't have to play ball anymore. Yeah. So glad. 
they call me. Scooter says, "Hey, Kenny can't make it. You got to you got to go up against Kerr in the three point contest." And I'm like, "Oh, Kenny can't make it." Yeah, Kenny's busy, you know, whatever. Uh, so I'm bummed, and I'm like, so now I have I still have substance alcohol in my system. I have to I have yeah. a bad back, and I'm going the. So I start shooting around. I'm wearing a Sam Cassell Wolves jersey, and this is the year 2004. And Great, yeah. Steve, he goes, "Wow, you can shoot because I can, I can shoot a little bit." Yeah. We're only going to do three racks, okay? The first rack on the baseline, left baseline, I miss all five, and it's over. And then the next rack, I made four out of five, which is kind of my spot. And then I don't know, maybe two out of five, and he won, you know. And he says to me. This is funny because I know a little bit. I worked really hard on my shot. I could shoot. I have great. Freddie Brown had beautiful. I like form. Freddie Brown had beautiful form. I like guys that have beautiful form. Yeah. Okay. And I thought Mark Price had a beautiful jump shot. He says, uh, you got to, you might, you might want to put your legs a little wider. And I'm thinking, I'm very particular about my legs. It's like Andrew Wiggins, when he's at the foul line, I want his right foot to be slightly, he has a parallel. Put your right foot slightly forward. And I'm thinking, well, who's telling me this? The guy with the widest stance in the NBA. His, you know how Kerr had the really yeah. exaggerated wide stance. But what he said, which was very, and here come the excuses besides the late night. He said, have you ever shot off a rack before? I said, no, I've never shot off a rack before. He goes, it's not, it's an, unna it's an unnatural, it's like a bad pass. You're pulling it this way. What you just said, you gotta, you're pulling it across your body and going like this. And that's an, unna until you practice that, you're not going to do that. And that's why you have to spread your legs? No, that was two different points. One okay. is spread your legs. That was one of his point. And I thought I have a proper leg spread. I've always felt I have a proper leg yeah, spread. Yeah. So anyways, you're right about that. You got to put the ball there. Let me jump. Oh, uh, have you ever used this argument? You know, you say Mike, Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. Yeah, Absolutely. Of course, Larry's a better shooter, passer, and rebounder. Have you ever yet used that? Because I've read it, and it's true. He is a better shooter, passer, and rebounder. And, of course, Michael's That's the greatest. Good. You never heard that. No, I like it. It's the greatest. He is, he is the, he beats him in those three categories. He, That's pretty good. How many six nine guys? I, how many six nine guys can shoot three pointers like that? When you talk about shooters, and some guys, go, what do you mean by a shooter? And well, I'm, I'm mainly talking jump shot, free throws, pure. But also, you want to add shooting. You want to talk about left hand and right hand around the basket. I mean, the guy. But um, Steph took his title, though. That's fine. As, as bumped. I don't. He had care. a nice run with it, but now I, even I would admit I Steph's love, the best shooter ever. I told you this ever. the other day, but I love those guys at Indiana State. They said, yeah. You know, because Larry broke his fingers shooting his pointer finger on his right hand in college. In a softball game. In a game. softball game right before the draft. And he's like, uh, his friends at college, yeah, he shot pretty well in the pros, but man, you should have seen him in college. He couldn't miss. I always love that. The two worst things that happened to him, he broke his finger in a college softball game, and then he hurt his back shoveling um, because he was tarring his driveway in French Lick and wouldn't yeah. pay people to do it because yeah. he didn't believe in paying manual right. laborers. right. And his back was never the same. Those yeah. were the two injuries that derailed his greatness. Yeah, yeah what a he had shame. A so when Wait, I was, can we talk about the playoffs or no? Yeah, I want to get, I wanna get rid of this because I, I want to get rid of this little note, little thing I have for you. Okay, okay. Do, you, do your thing. I started playing in second grade. Did you play growing up? Were, I did. Okay, were you any good? No. Okay. I mean, I was good, but not like good right. to... But you loved the game. I loved it. I peaked when I was like 12. Okay. I don't know why I grew, I grew six inches and I never, my body never recovered from it. So my brother and I, we, uh, 
he was an older brother. He, he was into science fiction. I was into Monty Python and Firmware Tonight. He liked, uh, he, I remember once I slept through and two in the afternoon down in, in Minnesota, you have basements. They're, they're big rooms and they're dan- cool. And in the summertime, you have a TV room down in your basement. Basements are coming back in LA, by the way. Well, there's, People are building basements. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm so, a little scared of basements. Journey to the Center of the Earth was on, and I was probably 10 years old, and, and I slept through it on the couch, and he goes, you're anemic, you're anemic. I've learned this, because you're tired all the time, and I learned yeah. the word anemic from my brother. But we would change our names. Instead of working on our game, basketball game, we'd go to the court, and we'd put on the wristbands and practice running out for introductions and giving each other <laughs> five or fists. Right. And the, here were the names. He was Satchel Holland, we basically take a name and a name and us. He was Satchel Holland because we thought our name. We were we liked Julius Irving's name so much. It's a great name. And I was Sweetwater. Moses Malone, another good one. I was Sweetwater Gilmore, and my nickname was Golden Boy Buttercup. Sweetwater Gilmore, I like. Yes, and at some point when Doctor came to the Sixers, and my I was more in the Doctor than my brother was, but I because he was. My brother was lone valedictorian, valedictorian, valedictorian of his graduating class of 500, which they will not do now. They will name salutatorians. But he was very, a uh, very bright guy and wasn't all immersed into basketball. He actually cared about his academics. Good kid. Great brother. Great human being. Handsome man. High jump record. I could go on and on. Great calves. I don't have calves. He has great right. calves. Brown. Okay. He wrote, he wrote four Dr. J limericks when I was maybe in eighth grade or whatever it was. And I remember two of them. I'd like to read them to you now. I, I couldn't, I called, I sent him, I said, do you have, do you remember all four? He goes, I don't remember all four. I mean, These are just Dr. J limericks from a, a teenager in Minnesota. It's, I, I mean, did, I you, did, did you do the limericks or I not? I feel like it's cliche to read Dr. J limericks on a pot. Oh no, it's not. This has never happened before. It does, do, does it happen yeah. all the time? No, it's never happened. Is this You're good or bad? This is good. Because I've I lost, can't wait for your Dr. J limerick. Because, now what? Now what does that mean? Because when as a kid it was kind of fun. Is it? Are they? Because oh, no, I'm, it's fun. Now. And by the way, I'm not a fan In of limericks. 2016. It's fun. I'm not a fan of limericks. I I think they're boring. I'm not, and I also have a thing about puns are the lowest form of humor. Blah blah yeah, blah, yeah. blah blah blah. But this was when I was a kid, and my brother. I think it was because I got my brother to talk. I made people talk about Dr. J, the Baryshnikov of basketball. I made. I I was obnoxious. Like I'm now obsessed. This is kind of. If you knew the sitcoms, I did not see. I've never seen Friends. I really, I, I didn't really watch Seinfeld. I didn't watch Seinfeld. I'm obsessed with, I told you the other day, Frasier. Yeah. And I watched it after the fact. And I watched it after interviewing Jane Leaves, Daphne Moon, the beautiful Daphne Moon. So I was really into Dr. J. So my brother does, um, there once was a man from the sky. The Philadelphians said he could fly. He slam dunked his way through the NBA. The doctor from Roosevelt High. They're, they're, they're nice. Listen to these words. This, like is the second, this is the only other one I know. There once was a man named Irving, and all manner of jams was he serving. He started his stuff, and that was enough, for his high wire act was unnerving. That's my big brother. <laughs> I love my big brother. He's such a wonderful human being. <laughs> Did you he's watch? He's introverted, by the way. He's an introvert. But he's a limerick specialist. Yes. And so he was a software engineer. He goes down to Rice University, where Paul Pierce, or, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Pierce. What was the guy? The shooter? Rice Ricky University? Pierce. Ricky, Ricky Pierce. Pierce. Tommy Kramer. And he goes down to Rice and he says, I'm going to walk on on the team. And I said, uh, okay. And he, and he does really, he's much better. He's a better athlete than I am, but was not as good a basketball player. 
he was six three and he played post in high school, which a lot of guys do. So he he plays and he but he doesn't. He says I I got a, my academic load was too much. I had to I, I had to drop out of the team, but I was doing well. And Mike Schuler was the head coach. So one day he's playing one on one. He no, he's in the gym by himself shooting. Just he's just you know he's doing class. He's shooting by himself. And there's a nondescript white guy that comes down and says, Hey, do you want to go one on one? And my brother's good one on one. He's a good defender, and he's he's good. He's a very he's, and they play to like 11 and they have to go to extra. They have to be like 13, 11. This guy beats my brother and my brother is kind of impressed. Like, wow, you're pretty good. He goes, did you play in college? He goes, yeah, I played at South Carolina. He goes, what do you do now? He goes, I play for the Rockets. I'm Mike Dunleavy. Wow. Mike Dunleavy, but years before he ruined the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. Although he claims he didn't. Yeah. Um, So anyways, uh, I'm taking a break now. I'm just going to drink some water. All right. Let's take a quick break from Craig to talk about Blue Apron, which has been a huge asset in my house the last couple of days because my wife has been using Blue Apron to make our dinners. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals, and they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers, and for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make you delicious home-cooked meal. New recipes are created each week by their culinary team. You can customize your recipes each week based on your preferences and choose your delivery options to fit your needs. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe. Uh, Check out this week's menu. Get your two meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash BS. So far this week, I've had steak, and I've had chicken that kind of tasted like the tiki marsala chicken that I like. It was a little variation of it. It was delicious. My kids liked it. It was all great. And you know what? Delivery is too expensive. So just use Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash BS. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And since we're here, I want to talk about our buddies at MailChimp. They helped us launch an incredible newsletter for The Ringer that we've been updating three to four times a week. It's been a huge success for us. We are over 200,000 subscribers, and it's been an awesome place to showcase all of our writers before we launch. So if you're just getting started like we were, or if you're building a growing business like we are, uh, I want you to know that MailChimp makes it super easy to connect with your customers and to sell more stuff. It's free to get started. There's no expiring trial. There is no credit card required. Thanks to MailChimp for helping me and everyone at The Ringer build our audience because we are launching a website this summer. Go to MailChimp.com. Check out everything they have to offer. And also go to TheRinger.com and subscribe to our newsletter because it's really good. Back to Craig Kilborn. All right, so I have some questions for you. Mm. Is there an NBA player that you would trade you could have this guy for the next 12 years. No, not over Carl Towns. No. So nobody. Nobody. Curry? No. But here's the thing. I wanted to ask you. Warriors say to, say oh. to the T-Wolves, we've won two titles with Curry. We want Towns. Curry for Towns. You say no. So, so absolutely. I would never. No. So I, and the other thing is, um, I'm realistic about the Wolves. It's fun. I, I, you have a good coach and a franchise now, player. I well, think that, you should be unrealistic. Very, you might be more. It's hard to win a championship. You said on the sidewalk outside of Compton the other day. You yeah. said they're going to win the championship. And I'm I saying, think come on. The next, no, I think that I think they're the next great young team. Okay, I really do. Now, do you know when they were struggling this year? What one of their major flaws was? And it, it changed after the All Star break a little bit. You know what one of their big flaws is? The, the coach? No. Well, no, no. They don't shoot. They're one of the worst teams in three pointers. Right. They okay. need a shooter. 
And that's where I kind of a little irritated with the three-point shot becomes so important now. And I would much rather watch Carl. I think it's more difficult than Steph Curry shooting a three-pointer or Clay Thompson. And those guys have great jump shots. And it's that's why they win. They have the two best shooters in the league. And Draymond Green's Draymond Green's okay. He's very <laughs> yeah. But I, I think it's harder. Carl Towns shooting a left-handed jump hook is more difficult than a three-pointer, in my opinion, over a defender. But that's okay. Or when Carl Towns does the fakes the jump shot, sweeping into yes. the lane, C-web, my body's going in nine different directions, and then it's a finger roll layup. Yes. I he, tried to demonstrate that for you in the sidewalk yes. outside of Compton. He is, he, he is, <laughs> he is uh, he's better than I thought he'd be. And I love Andrew Wiggins. And you know, I actually think he had the best season by a number one pick as a rookie that I can remember. LaRue Martin. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. He was a boss. But like uh, LeBron was amazing is in his rookie year for what he was. Yeah. And I think Towns was that was an amazing season. Like yeah. he went into Golden State and was the best player in that overtime oh against God. the best regular season yeah. team of all time. So Zach What so do you think of Wiggins though? Too I, passive? I, it does, it, it, that's a little too the, passive? I love him because he has Carl Towns and he's and, right. and and the crunch time he takes it to the rim and and I don't care if he's pa- he he obviously if he had to carry a team himself but it might be a pretty good marriage. Well, with- that's the thing if he's the third best player on a title team that's perfect and he might be good enough to be the second best player but I'm not sure. I think he well it depends on how it's it's kind of funny someone said he I, I don't know if he's six seven or six eight someone said he is the. Worst re- six eight rebounder in NBA history. He doesn't. He doesn't rebound a lot. It's but true. He's he, not. He's not active enough for my life. I'm not worried about him because he is very good defensive player though. Yes, and he, yeah. he had a better rookie year defensively than he did the second year. He needs to shoot threes. But, he needs to be. He yeah. needs to spend this summer just taking and, and, a thousand threes a yeah. day until he gets better at them. And he he he. You're right. And he did that. And he. After the All-Star break, he started hitting his threes. I don't think you understand what's going to happen with you with Tibbs. I think you know, but deep down, I don't think you really know. It's, you, you know you, him you're better. going from like you know eight, him better than I do. You're going from like an eighth grade elementary science teacher to like a Nobel Peace Prize, <laughs> a Nobel Prize winning Harvard professor who like figured out nuclear fission. That's the difference in coaching that you're about to have. I, I'm, I love that we have him. You know him better than I. I just, I'm not worried about him at all. Um, I, I'm worried. I mean, the, the way the game has changed, I think the three-point shot is becoming too important. It's yeah, just, but you're going to be able to get shooters. A, what's that? You're going to be able to get shooters. People are going to want to play with Towns and yeah. Wiggins and Tibbs and all these guys. Well, I'll tell I don't you, know where Levine fits I'll in. I'll tell you the good news about Zach Levine. And you actually said it the other day because I asked you. I don't know if you remember what you said. I said, what do you think of him? Because I said he was a sixth man. Yes, and he is. And that's what I believe. I said he's like offense off the bench. He, re- is, he, has a really pretty, he has a really pretty jump shot. And people get obsessed with his dunking. And you also said it made a good point. He can get to the rim and finish. It's amazing yeah. that I go, wow, he actually finished on that. He likes to go in the traffic. So his problem, which is a little scary, he's a little like John Starks where he's he'll just start taking – he'll take shots that you say, that's a force, that's not a good shot. Because yeah. he's just – he's reactive. He's instinctive. He's just and – he, and he can get a shot off any time. But when he played point, it was ugly. And there were things that were said, and I wanted – it, was, it wasn't his fault. But that's not what he's, you know, he didn't, he did not start at UCLA. I know. He he, and he left after a year. Yeah. Would you like Serge Ibaka on your team? Because I, I feel like that trade makes sense. The lottery pick for Serge. Because Serge yeah. has become expendable in this Spurs series. To be honest, when I said I did limited research, yeah. I saw you say somewhere that. Twitter. I, so I looked him up 
Yeah. He's only 26. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't think you could play him and Adams together. Yeah. Because Thanabaka has to play outside the paint, and that takes away like all of his athleticism. God, On your team is... with talents, he'd be amazing. Yeah. And plus, you have a lottery pick. That's the other thing. You, know, you might win the lottery. Yeah. Might get Ben Simmons. Do you like Ricky, by the way? I do like Ricky, and I think his I think he's a very good defensive player and a very good passer. And he's, the last two games, his shooting is atrocious, and it's gotten slightly less atrocious, but it's still atrocious. Yeah, he makes his free throws and he makes some uh, he makes some shots. Uh, I love him. I love watching him. Uh, he he actually the last two games against the Warriors, we at home it was a close game we lost, and the one we won in overtime at Golden State, he uh, it was like oh my God, Steph really six for twenty and six for seventeen or whatever it was. He played he plays good defense and he's always the top one or two in steals. Do you blame Kobe for maiming his knee? It was it was an aggress yeah it was yeah accidental. I don't know. But but the <laughs> thing you, is, this is you, what this is what I say about Ricky. When Rick Adelman was there, we had Kevin Love. We were forty and forty two one year, and I yeah. say we. I can say we. Absolutely, kind of. It makes it hundred percent makes it more personal. And uh, you know, he didn't score in the fourth quarter, and Kevin Love could be double teamed. Blah blah blah. And they bring in Berea, who could score. But now it's you know, and I said to people, okay, fine. If you guys want to trade Ricky, if get a better point guard, you better get a better point guard. They tried to sign Eric Bledsoe at one point. If you can get a better point guard, well, I'll let the, I'm not worried about it. Ricky is really, I really enjoy watching him. And if he gets traded, this is because I'm a basketball fan first, an NBA fan first. Just like I watch Kevin Love on the Cavaliers. I'm happy for Kevin Love. So you're happy for KG? I extremely, as I said to the great Jimmy Jam, yeah. who's KG's brother-in-law, I said I might be a bigger K at the time. I want KG to win a ring. He's done his job in Minnesota. Let him go. You know, win a ring. And it's not easy. Because KG said, there's no guarantee I win a ring. This is before he went to Boston. And he said, oh, okay. They, they talked him into going. He goes, I'll play with Steve Nash in Phoenix. And then he ended up going to Boston. And there was a commercial I remember finding out about you. You've seen that commercial? Yeah. They showed it in Boston. Yeah. And the KG. KG's walking through that door. I mean, oh, yeah. we love him. We love KG. We And what was weird is we had the other way that it goes when... Ray Bork got traded to Colorado because he couldn't win a cup with the Bruins, and everyone in Boston rooted for Ray Bork. Finally, but is, we get to talk weird, hockey. Like, a proxy. I waited forty minutes to start talking <laughs> hockey. Where Was have it? you been? I'm talking fan proxy championships. Oh, so KG wins a title, and you a feel game. a little. You feel a little bit. I went to a hockey. Are game. you really a hockey fan? I went. To, I had to play in Minnesota. I could skate backwards. That's all you need to know. Skate backwards. Tariko wow. took me to a Hartford Whalers game. And <laughs> That's I hit right, the whale. And I said, can we go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse first? I just want yeah. to And I said, who's, and I just sit there, and, and this is what I love about hockey fans. I have buddies that are hockey, I have a buddy who's a Ranger fan, and they, because I like passing, and I, yeah. and they, they get so excited when there's a fight. That's when they get the most excited. When they're, they're pugilists, you know. So I'm at the game with, and I said, because I don't follow, I said, who's number eight? And he goes, why? I go, I just, I just like the way he plays. He's, and it's Jeff Sanderson. He's the best passer and fastest skater on the team. I go, okay. Eyes in the back of the head. Yeah. I remember Jeff Sanderson. Was that with Tariko? That's enough hockey. Enough hockey. Um, Let's do, can we do a little Vikings or not? You can save it for one second. Because yes. you set go me ahead. up with Tariko. Yeah. Um, you're basically your rookie class in Bristol. When'd you get to Bristol? 94? In the mid '90s, and the guy, the so Tariko Eisen, who else? No, Rich was not there. Not there. Now listen, they would the 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 new guy would take in another new guy. So you had a person like when the I 
Brett Haber came, I, I was the last guy, so I had to take him under my wings. Love Brett Haber. Get yeah. good Brett Haber. Stories. So Brett Haber's in your class. But before, but he wasn't there. When I got there, the, the nicest guy in the world was the, the new, the preceding new guy took me under his wing. Mike Tarico. Carl Ravage. Carl Ravage. Great guy. One of the sweetest guys yeah. around. Yeah. So Ravage, Tarico, you, Brett I'm going to tell a contrary. I don't know if this is controversial because it's been so many years. This is a basic point about broadcasting. Yeah. I find broadcasting wonderful. It's very, I find it very easy. Okay. That's why so many people can do it. It's not difficult. Yeah. Okay. But it's, you know, you have a person, and different guys like lawyers, like Howard Cosell, whatever, become broadcasters. So Ravi, we're working together and he's the greatest and I'm goofing off and I, and I write these silly lead-ins and, and I honestly didn't want to do too much on camera because I'm this, who the hell is this blonde, pretty boy guy? So I'd save most of my stuff where I could hide behind the highlights and go, oh, resourceful, look at Steve Kerr, all this. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I'll tell you a uh, catchphrase I was telling, uh, Akeem Olajuwon was, uh, this is not, I'm jumping, but Akeem Olajuwon was out for, with anemia for, for uh, Second weeks. anemia reference of the podcast. Yeah, and I and again my brother, I, my brother, I called. I was going into work, and I said he's with anemia. He goes, oh, he's he's coming back tonight. I got the you know I'm gonna watch the Rockets. I do the lead, and I say he's out with anemia for two weeks. So Akeem's in, in the game now. Let's he's back for, after anemia. We go to the highlights. First quarter, Akeem. Oh, the red cell count is up. They give him the ball. Oh, hemoglobin. Like <laughs> these ridiculous things. But here's what I wanted to say that's controversial. So Ravage goes, and he goes, they're taking me off Sports Center. You're going to be working with somebody else. I go, oh, come on, buddy. He goes, I'm doing baseball tonight. Yeah. And I said, oh. And I go, oh, interesting. You're excited? He goes, I'm an NBA fan. Ravage. No, I don't want to get him in trouble. Because my point is, it's just like a reporter. If you don't know a story, you can research it and immerse yourself. And he immersed himself in baseball, and he's the greatest. He's the man. You know what I'm saying? But it's not, in other words, if you had to cover something, like if you, we're going to send you, we send you on assignment right now in Europe to cover. I'm ready. You can do it. The Euros, I'm if ready. If you want to do it. Yeah. If you want to. Of course, I don't want to do certain things. You started like at the 2 a.m.? Yes, sir. Because I remember that's usually when I got home in the mid-90s. Yeah. And uh, the 2 a.m. was always a throwaway sports center. And then eventually started becoming a really fun sports center and they would rerun it the next day. And yeah. That's my buddy Gus was working with you the whole thing. Oh. He started experimenting. Boy, was he funny. Yeah. He was great. Nice guy. So uh, He was a Dr. J fan, by the way. Were you thinking when you got there, I'm here for a couple of years and it will lead to this? Or you're just thinking, this is great. I'm, if you're sitting down when I was in college. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, there was a part of me that said, oh, I love basketball. I, 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 I want to do, maybe I'll be like Chick Hearn. I can't, I don't, some of these guys can't do play-by-play. -play. I'm not a good player. I did a little play-by-play. I'm average or below average. You know, that's why Tariko, he can do studio and play-by-play. -play. Yeah. But in college, I was like, secretly, you don't say this. I, 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 I like Johnny Carson. And I, and I, and I, I also like Cheers. Uh, but so you wanted a talk show? Oh, yeah. I almost didn't go to ESPN. I brought my buddies... My buddies wanted me to do stand-up. When I came at the late 80s, I used to go to the comedy store and watch Argus Hamilton, Jackson Purdue. These are names. But, and, then, and then Dice Clay was there at the beginning. And, and then I saw Jim Carrey before he did In Living Color. This is in the late 80s. And he would not do any jokes. He would sit there and do 20 different... Now, now here's David Bowie. Fame, fame. He would morph into these different impressions. And uh, 
I decided, and it was easy, I'm looking back, I had no desire, I thought about Stan, I used to go to the Ice House in Pasadena and watch guys talk, and the guy who ran the Ice House, Stan Letterman, he didn't like stand-up, he liked hosting the night, blah, 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 and I had too much respect for the, they said, don't do stand-up to, to do something else, do it because you want to be, you want to do stand-up. And right, it's in your DNA. Yes, and it's, and it's, and I, I have the, what I consider the appropriate amount of respect for it, but I, I would say that there are some people that aren't that, that, are, that you're not funny just because you do stand up. You have guts to do it. And you're not charismatic just because you do stand up. Because some guys are not that charismatic or that, that funny. They just do it because they love it. That's good. Doesn't mean you're as funny as Jeff Van Gundy. Yeah. <laughs> How funny is that guy, by the way? I he's, mean, it's pretty amazing, right? He's broadcaster funny. Yeah. It's like when athletes are athlete funny, but they're not actually funny. Well, I, it's, it's a thing where. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Barkley's funny, but these guys. Like, are Barkley's funny, funny. Yeah. Like he, I, I, think, I actually think Van Gundy's funny, funny, but I could be wrong. You think you think Van Gundy's funny, funny? Yeah, I think, he's, but, I think he's funny. But I like guys. There's an aspect to comedy where I think it's too desperate. I like it when it's a little cooler. I like it when you're like, I was going to say Churchill, a world leader who's very like Churchill had all these. Right. Uh, he got on a boat once and he goes, what, enough with this. I like like an Italian boat. And it was like, it's not women and children first. He goes, good. That's ridiculous. Like he, he did all these. Uh, and you know, you know, all the famous Churchill stuff, right? You yeah. Know, you'll be ugly. You know, you're drunk. Yes. But in the morning I'll be sober and you'll be, still be ugly. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I, I, I wanted to do, I almost didn't do, I, 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 I used, I didn't want to do the daily show for very long. I just wanted to do a network talk show. And then of course where I'm a little controversial, I walked away because it was dysfunctional or, or whatever reasons it's going to be in the book. I'm going to save it for the book. What book? The book that I write one day. You're not writing it though. No, I just have anecdotes. Anecdotes. Well, I remember Gus. You know, Gus and I are really close, especially back then. We used to talk all the time because you didn't have email. You actually had to call somebody and mm. have conversations with them. Um, and he would, I'd be like, "This Kilborn is fucking great on these." Oh my god, you can and, swear. And Gus would be like, "He, just Gus, swear. he's Gus. Like, he wants to have a late night show. He's not going to be here very long." Yeah. So that was fun, and and I'm trying to think of uh, oh. You, you reminded isn't it, me, but isn't it better if I don't ask you why you're not on TV anymore? Because I like the mystery that you've created about yourself. I would, you know what I would say to you? If you asked me, I'd say it's a story for another day. I would probably just say that. Can That's I, great. I heard I, your podcast. I like that you just kind of pop in and out. Thank and everybody's you. like, wait a second. Also. Even when I saw you, I was like, oh my God. Would you be nice to the guys? I got, I got, okay. I got some requests. Guys? Well, Colin and these guys were asking me to do their show and I love, they're all great. I just don't want to, I just, this was, this was a baby step and I like this. I don't see any cameras. I don't think, I don't even know what a podcast. This was a fluke. We ran into each other. What's a podcast? I want someone to walk me through a podcast because my brother and I used to do this with tape recorders after watching Monty Python. I wanted to ask you, I heard you the other day on your podcast. With Rappaport. With Rappaport. Hot, good energy. Great energy from Rappaport. I, I heard him mention uh, he's excited about David Blatt, and then he said other things. That was great. Okay, <laughs> I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Murphy. You said Eddie Murphy. What was your thing? He's the greatest, or what? I said Eddie Murphy was the greatest SNL cast member of all time. He was the only one who was actually overqualified to be on the show. Okay, and uh, I think Will Ferrell was a close second, okay. but I think Eddie Murphy, when he was on the show, the entire time. I felt like he was too famous and too gifted to just be on a television show. It was always clear he was going to do something much bigger. One of the more entertaining topics to me is to listen to people. And my big 
calm disagreement is with human nature and instincts in general, overrating a Kobe or there'll be yes. a championship team every year. If you expand the NBA by 10 teams, there's still going to be a championship team. Does not mean it's a good championship team. So you hate recency bias. Uh, yes. Whatever that term, there's a new yeah. term. Oh my God. It's, I, I, I was, I was telling a friend of mine, there was a term, this, this buddy of mine was, was at the, well, he was at a, he was at a, a job for 20 some years at a newspaper and he, and he's a big liberal, but he said I, he hates political correctness. And he said, this woman quit. She says it's so heteronormative. And he had not heard the term before. I don't even it, know what that means. Well, it's, you, can, you can put it together. <laughs> you can figure it out. But I wanted to say, I get it, I'm entertained by opinions. That's why I get back to the who's the biggest whiner in the NBA. And one of the more entertaining things is when people break down people's talent. Yeah. And now it is fun when it's Prince. But there is something beyond talent. Like there are more talented actors than Clint Eastwood. But I love Clint Eastwood. Uh, there are movie stars that, you know, are movies. I like James Spader. Okay. I just have a purpose. So Eddie Murphy uh, is extremely talented and he's also sang, you know, he also did a party all the time and, yeah. and he did the Rick raw, James. he did the raw standup thing. I have a favorite that a lot of us, you know how all of us loved Letterman again. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, Letterman's maybe, my favorite. I'm maybe two years older than you. No, Letterman's a couple, my favorite. couple dude. years older. I all of us love Letterman. I was my favorite is Johnny Carson, then Steve Allen, then Dave Letter. Uh, there's one guy that is the funniest guy and our favorite guy of all time from SNL, and it's every, we're just like he's the man. So, who, who is it? Who is that, Bill? Um, it could be Will Ferrell. It could be John Belushi. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll wait over here. Could be Dana Carvey. You're, you're having a. Who is it? Bill Murray. Okay. Wow. So years ago at ESPN, I've told this story before, there were some youngins, Carl Ravitch, I think Steve Levy, who, uh, who said, well, Chevy, Chevy Chase is funnier than Bill Murray. Well, that's not true. And uh, Dan Patrick and Keith and I were like, no, but that's okay. And I asked a question. Bill, by the way, later called me. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something. I asked them, do you, are you familiar with the lounge singer on SNL? He goes, no, I never saw him do the lounge singer. Oh, so you don't know. Yeah. What, you just saw Caddyshack when he was the groundskeeper? Is that all you know? Bill is the man. He's the greatest, the funniest man ever. And I got, to interview, that, I got to interview him a number of times. But how much of that opinion is colored by what he did after he left the show? I was just talking purely for the show. Oh, I... I yeah, I, okay, that's, you, guess what, Bill? You probably watched SNL with Eddie Murphy. I only saw a little bit. I didn't watch it. Yeah, I'm I mean, just saying, Bill. I was an only child, so yeah, I saw all yeah. the SNLs. So Bill is, the great. this is kind of funny, the greatest thing he does is his appearance on Letterman. I mean, well, his appearances on Letterman. Are the he's had a 40-year run of just being consistently charismatically funny, yeah. which Eddie Murphy really, well, by the, the early 90s, just wasn't funny but, anymore. But one thing I'll say is he doesn't do real, he doesn't do a lot of comedy movies now. He obviously... Right. Does dramatic stuff and Jim Jarmish with the long setup shots and stuff, you know, the independent stuff. But uh, a lot of comedians that happens where they've just run out of ways to make funny films and they start going. Like, I, I thought Bill Murray was amazing in Lost in Translation. Mm -hmm. I thought he should have won the Oscar. Um, and that and he wasn't funny in that, but he was, he was just being. Yeah, it was yeah. like he's got a couple different personalities and that was one of them. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's so funny. I. I uh, who was the best guest you had on on the CBS show? Like the one that you were the most fanboyish about? Uh, the only guy I got nervous about was Clint Eastwood. Really? Because he was taller than you? 
No, he's he's not taller, but uh, Do you have an inch he, on him. He he's uh, yeah he's I. Uh, I'm not going to tell it. I'll, I'll tell it off. Off. I could tell it. I, my greatest story is a Clint Eastwood story. I'll tell you off air. But then you'll repeat it. But maybe I'll save it for another time. It's a great story. That is the all-time tease. I apologize. It's, but I've told is it, it an offensive story? I have to work blue, but not very, very much. It's a so story. why can't you just tell it? That's oh, the greatest story. Everybody's been listening it's for an hour. Story. You I'm can't tell them another, a Clint Eastwood story? So, by the way, we, one of the five questions was, okay, f- finally show us... Uh, I want you to squint because it's sunny and then squint because you're mad. Like the dude is just squinting. And he's like, he's paid a lot of money to squint. I'm not going to do it here for free. He, he said, said that? that? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great. I gave, I gave him a heads up. I give people a heads up on the sometimes on the five questions. Letterman never came on, did he? No, no. Did you ever interact with Letterman? I'm glad you asked because this is for you. I'm handing this to you. Thank I'm you. handing this to I you. I appreciate it. So I like to call him Tortured Dave, but... Um, uh, and I'm, uh, he was the greatest, blah, 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 blah. He, he picked you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't think people, you get the job unless he says right. it's okay. You can give it's it to okay. that guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I would take pride if someone says I'm not his cup of tea. I would enjoy that because I, 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 Johnny is cool and smooth. And my dad, my dad said then my dad was a big Carson fan. Then it became a little bit of a dork festival. Yeah. Well. That's my dad. Those are my dad's words, not mine. But he called me once. Remember Ray Romano said, does he call you? I, did he call you after your first show? I said, yeah, it was a quick call. Good job. Good luck. Blah, blah, blah. Then he called me a few months later and, um, and it's very funny. And he called me for something else. And Rob Burnett, who's the guy that I dealt with was surprised that David called and we were having a little trouble with our executive producer. And just as an interesting note, because I do have a lot of anecdotes on this stuff. They were saving money where they hired a guy who was uh, both the head writer and the executive producer. And I thought he would have been great as just the head writer. He's a very funny guy. I'm not going to mention his name, but we had to let him go, blah, blah, and blah, blah, blah. And I was influenced by some certain executives. Said, blah, blah. So, uh, and that's why Dave called because he knew he was making a change. But I remember Rob had kind of handpicked this guy, but they were saving money by having a dual role. And it's not easy to be creative and then also have the boring ass meetings where you yeah. have to talk about what we're going to put in the break room, which is almost like, so Rob's, this is a joke that Rob, Rob goes, Craig, there are two types of executive producers. Okay. There's the, the kind like me, who's the writer and the other guys like so-and-so Dave, we need a new carpet around your desk now. <laughs> like, like these guys, he's the kind of dismissing. Yeah. Like, this whole, you're, you're not, entire job. you're not, fine. But, right. So Dave calls me because, and he only called because he wanted to know, he wanted to see how everything was going because he knew I was making a change. And at the end of the phone call, I said to him, listen, I like, you're loyal to people. That's a great quality. I'm just trying to find people I want to be loyal to. And he says, fine, great. But at the beginning of the phone call, because it was, and I remember telling my dad, he goes, that's an 11 minute phone call. You know, this is how Dave opened. You know, he goes, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to Christian Leitner? That was his opener? Because he knew I liked basketball and he must have interviewed Christian Leitner. He was like, what's up? Maybe he was like, there's another pretty boy. What happened to him? And I said, well, he was drafted third by the Wolves and he had a decent career. Great college player. He actually made the, he goes, an all-star. He goes, one year with Atlanta, he made the all-star team or all-star game. But isn't that funny that he, you know, and uh, he, I, he also, he also mocked Leno on the phone call. It was, yeah, I was remembering. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. He goes, you know, let me tell you about Jay. He's the kind of guy that would help you with you. You got a flat tire. He'd stop and help you with a flat tire. You know? I don't know. But, um, yeah, so that was, uh, that's pretty So did funny. you call him when you decided to leave the show? Yes, I did. How'd that go? It, well, it went well. I thanked him for the job. I said, thank you, sir. 
And I, I and I said, listen, it's just me. I'm like I'm peripatetic, like Larry Brown. I used a basketball. I'm looking for the perfect thing. But it, it was it was uh, I had 15. I don't want to get into it. 15 writers. Oh, 15 writers at the Daily Show. We have. It was just a smaller show. Blah blah blah. It was good. The the problem is. I can only really share that decision with myself. Some people find it admirable, but if I say it was such an easy decision, so cathartic, escaping the dysfunction. But I, you know, I will say this because I can kind of transition. Our friend Jimmy Kimmel and I ran into him uh, a few times, and I, there, there are things that I he likes I, you. Yeah, I really don't miss certain things, and I said yeah. to Jimmy, I, I said Jimmy, I, uh, I was at some charity event you had to host, and you did a great job. Tell me you 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 hate doing those because it's extra work. It's extra work. Now, I obviously has a bigger staffing, but hosting award shows and he says, I hate it. And he goes, God, I just did one and I bombed in front of Bill Gates. I mean, it's really a lot of extra work. There are things you have to do to promote your show that it's a real headache. And uh, also the thing that all, all these guys talk about is, which is different, which are corporate events. Corporate events. I've heard Letterman complain. He goes, I did a corporate event. He was talking to a guest. He goes, it was, I, they're really hard sometimes. They can, you can just be the funniest man in the world and bomb at a corporate event. Yeah. And then you can have, and I've done a few, and I actually, the last one I did, it went well, and this is the reason it goes well. It was up in San Francisco, my favorite city, and it was for, uh, it was for some uh, beverage, th- wine company that did beverages or whatever, and uh, all it was a beverage company. And I was, they wrote this, and they said, and they write inside jokes for all the people, and that's when it, you know. So yeah. if you do a uh, a Bush joke or a Clinton joke, that they, they've already heard. So you do joke about Bob on the second floor. The, oh my God, that's hilarious! And I just remember, I took my lady friend up there. And the thing was called the, the, what was, it was in a little conference room with, and they, I did it the whole day. They kept putting people in, they flew them in and it was like 30 people. And it, and it was called the daily spill, you know, the wine, how wine spills. Oh, <laughs> it was, it's like that. Yeah, they were saying, yeah. But all I know is this is why my, you go there, they put us in the penthouse of the St. Uh, the St. Francis in Union Square. And, and you don't have to put down your credit card and it's all that kind of fun stuff. And it went and they pay you well and we get to go out and eat and the thing, and it was just a, and it, sometimes they go well, sometimes the corporate event, but I, I was, I ran into Jimmy and there's a headache and I, uh, I didn't like disposable comedy in late night. Now it's not as disposable now, but when I would write a mat, you'd have to do, you do the four monologue jokes you do the, in the news or whatever, you do a desk chat. The kind of keeping the trains moving. And you, yeah, part and if of the I show. crafted out a desk chat that I liked on Monday, yeah, I was like, okay, I want to, I want to enjoy that for a few days. No, you got another show Tuesday. You got to do another thing. You have to keep churning out stuff. And it, I, I like. That's why. Are you a Frasier fan at all or not? I liked it when it was on. But yeah, isn't I, it I, sad that I'm talking about it now? It's kind of sad, right? I just think it's, it's. I love that. Well, so. I mean, one of my weird theories, and I'm known to have a lot of weird theories, I don't think it's a normal life to host a late night show. Because I, I worked for Jimmy for the first 18 months he had a show, right? Right. The grind of that day in, day out. Not just putting together the show and it's over and then, oh, got another one tomorrow. And you got to keep doing that. But also just having to have that energy and knowing every day you're planning the show, you're the point man, you're doing everything. You're the, and then... Also, separate of that, at five o'clock, I have to be on TV. I have to perform. 
and it's almost like you got to rise to the occasion like an NBA player. Right. Then you crash. Correct. And then you got to do it again and Correct. again. And I, I think it's a really hard process. It is. And it's, so, I think it's freaking grueling. I remember in local TV in Monterey, it was the 110 market. I got my startup there. And I also, I'd interned in Minneapolis and the guy, the sportscaster said, all you have to do once a day, five minutes of sports, just be up for five minutes. That's not, the way he explained it. Yeah. You got be, that's not difficult. Five minutes, do it. So you do these shows and, uh Again, the best thing is the writer's room where you're... Yeah, the camaraderie you're, is the best. You're talking... Yeah. I mean, we... Yeah. Throwing uh, ideas around. Oh, my God. Comedy writers can't make each other laugh. Yeah. It becomes like... It's like a climbing a ladder to see who can go higher I remember to jump I was doing it. five questions for Larry Flint. Yeah. And Alex Sulkin starts throwing Larry Flint impressions. <laughs> right. You cross every line. Yeah. yeah. It's the best. It's great. And and he does... Vo- Sulkin does voices. He does a great Gregory Peck and all this kind of fun stuff. And uh, so, so yeah, that's the best part. But the... I don't miss it at all, but when you mention you crash where I, I had friends visit me and they wanted to see me at, for dinner after the show. And I was, I did, but I was absent because I, I wanted to, I either want to be by my, like a zombie. Yes. And then, you know, Robert and I would say, yeah, Dave couldn't really, really get out of that until 2 PM Saturday. You know, that's when you kind of rest and you sleep and maybe I can uh, breathe a little bit. Well, but that's yeah, why I can. You do have to make a lot of decisions. I made so many, it was like, I remember once I said, because I was making a lot of decisions and I was hands-on and uh, I don't know, I'm just showing the six months and I walk, I'm walking after, I'm after rehearsal and uh, I actually turned mine off only because I'm responsible. But I, the adjacent studio was, uh, (laughs) the adjacent studio was an ABC show. Yeah. Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher. Yeah. And they painted on the wall, they had painted ever since I was there politically incorrect Bill Maher on the entrance on the on the wall entering the studio doors in the hallway I walk by it every day and so I have my head down because I'm working on all this stuff Sebastian the asexual icon Yambo name all this stuff, blah 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 and one day I said God why why don't I why don't I have a painted thing here late late show you know now I, I my point is I wish I didn't have to come up with it but that's fine so I went to the line producer. You're smiling. And the line producer goes, that's, that's a, a fair point, though. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. And, they, and then, of course, it happened. They did it. But you had to mention it. Yeah, but that's okay. But, but, but I want to make a, this is a beautiful point. One of my favorite lines in life. <clears throat> and this is the way I would. <clears throat> do you ever see the John Wooden um, documentary on HBO? Yeah, of course. <clears throat> he came out from the Midwest. Yeah. He came out from the Midwest with three things his father told him. Drink deeply from good books. Make each day your masterpiece. And don't complain. I love don't complain. That's one of my favorites. Don't complain. It's a good one. Just leave. <laughs> so okay. uh, what, what, I think, what's the time we're at right no, now? No, we're, we're pretty much done. I do think that Kimmel is, there's something about how he operates day to day that he's very well equipped to do that show yeah. because he's just always engaged. You right. can email him at any point of the day and he's ready to go. And I just think you have to be wired that way. But I think it's interesting. Stewart and Letterman both leave their shows and immediately grow giant beards. Yeah. It's no fun shaving. You have, yeah, it's no fun shaving. Is that what you think it's the, the shaving thing? Or it's just like you almost want to assume a new identity. No, it was the worst part of the job was shaving. And I would do this thing where I would shave on Monday and not shave again until Wednesday. And they would say, why do you, sometimes I'd have a little very stylish stubble on me, you know? Right. I mean, is that Beckham? What's going on? But anyways. All right, we're hmm. going to go. Cause so, cause I took Thank too much you, of your time. Thank you. This was awesome. We saved some stuff for the next time. 
if you ever want to do this again, you might not. If I tell you the Clint Eastwood story off camera, off air, will you not repeat it to anybody? Of course. You promise? Cause... I, I promise. Okay. Okay. All right. Pleasure seeing you. And if you win the lottery, we come back. What lottery? Minnesota. Oh. Oh, uh, that might be too soon. I don't want you to get bored with me. Good luck with, good you luck like with your new show, chance. by the way. Good Thank luck you. with your new show. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. It was great to see you. Nice to see you. All right. Thanks to Craig Kilborn. Thanks to MailChimp for helping me and everyone at The Ringer build our audience. Go to MailChimp.com. Check out everything they have to offer. And go to TheRinger.com to subscribe to our newsletter. You can see how good of a job MailChimp does with stuff. Again, it's free. MailChimp.com. And uh, thanks to Blue Apron. Stop ordering expensive takeout for less than $10 per meal. Blue Apron will deliver you all the fresh ingredients that you need for a delicious and healthy home-cooked meal. Right now, you can get your first two meals for free by going to blueapron.com BS. And check out the uh, our new podcast feeds. We have The Watch. We have Keeping It 1600. We have The Ringer NBA Show. And we have The Ringer NFL Show. And The Ringer NFL Show next week, starting next week, Robert Mays and Kevin Clark have a big 10-part series about the best players at every position that you care about in the NFL. Uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to keep popping in on the NBA playoff show for The Ringer and all the other stuff that we are doing. Uh, please, it really helps us when you subscribe to the podcast and it helps when you comment in the iTunes feed for us. We had a great week. We were one, two, three on iTunes for a few days there. Uh, and we had three of like the top seven or top eight. So that was awesome. Thank you for supporting the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll be back tomorrow. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. The picture me rolling. Hey, this is Kevin Clark. This week on the Ringer NFL show, I speak with Andrew Luck about his obsession with books and the weird 2015 season in Indianapolis. The, the, the true Lord of the Rings buff on the team is Anthony Costanzo. Wow. So, and our lockers are very close to each other in the locker room, and I, I definitely have an appreciation for Tolkien, the books and the movies. So there'll be, there'll, there'll be some obscure references every now and then. Make sure to subscribe to the Ringer NFL show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play Music.